Well, hello there and welcome back. We are back. Yes, the Super Bowl is done, so it's time to crank up the college hoops here as part of College Basketball Coast to Coast, the podcast and the show, however you found us. Again, you can subscribe to the podcast uh, via Spreaker, uh, via Apple Podcasts, wherever you get podcasts. Go find us under College Basketball Coast to Coast. If you're finding us on the TuneIn mobile app for free on the TuneIn channel by the name College Basketball Coast to Coast, we will typically be here right now, beginning of the week, may come in a little later in the week. When March gets here, we're here all the time. Great to have you with us. And I'm going to get right into it here without further delay. If you know anything about me, if you followed me, if you keep up with me, I am a Memphis State Tiger through and through. I'm an alum. So it's time to talk some college hoops. And looky here. Look who got a huge win this weekend in Houston over the Houston Cougars. But my da 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 go Tigers go. And they did go. And they did win in a very tough place to play. Defeating Houston, the top team in the American Athletic Conference. Does Memphis seemingly have a little momentum? Have they turned the corner? Let's find out from the longtime radio voice, one of my longtime great friends in the business, a mentor of mine longer ago than he and I want to admit. Dave Woloshin, the voice of the Memphis Tigers, back aboard uh, with me. I always love getting to talk to you, but especially off of a win like this and what it does. Good to have you. We're doing this on Valentine's Day. I'm not going to extend a rose. We don't need to do that. I'm just going to say great job by the Tigers this weekend. How are you and how impressive was that, my friend? Well, it's it's Valentine's Day, right? So this was about as sweet uh, as, as you could get. It was a season redeemer, TJ. The Tigers have have had their issues. We, we, we've chronicled it all. We know they have not lived up to expectations. Most people thought this was a team capable of making the final four. I mean, you got guys that came back from the NIT championship. You couple that with the number one recruiting class in the country and do a struggle the way they did and have some early losses that are bad losses. That, that was troublesome, but now they've won five in a row. They just came off another quad one win. They're actually four in two in quad one wins. They go to Houston to a team they should have beaten twice last year. A miracle shot from midcourt in Houston gave the Cougars the win last year. And then in the semifinals of the conference tournament in Fort Worth, Tigers had a lead. They end up losing by two. This is a crazy game because if you look at the line, here's the number six team in the country, Houston, number three in the net. They haven't lost at home in 37 games. They haven't lost since that building opened the Fertitta Center in 2008, but three times, three times, that's all. The line was 10. Now, if you go back about 10 years, T.J. Reeves, and you look at the games between Memphis and Houston, you would find the average margin of victory either side is 3.8. 10 points? Mm. Crazy. Not in this rivalry, and it wasn't that way. Back and forth, but the University of Memphis did something they have not done all year. That's called hit free throws. Memphis was in the 300s. Memphis hit, after missing their first free throw, the next 18. <laughs> That's the second best free throw performance in the history of the school in 1967. Ever. Ever. 1967 Twice. against USM, Southern Miss. They were 21 of 22. In the Fertitta Center in Houston on Saturday, 18 in a row to win that ball game and great defense. I mean, they look like a team that Kelvin Sampson said 
could go to the second weekend of the NCAA tournament. Okay, so I joked with you on your show. Again, we're on with each other all the time. Whatever you wore Saturday in Houston, wear it again, please. If you had the lucky rabbit's foot, bring it. Whatever the pregame meal was for the Tigers, eat the pregame same thing, pregame meal uh, again, because they were making those foul shots. So again, I pose it to you. What do you think this does psychologically for this team now that they have to play two more games on the road, a makeup game with Cincinnati at the time we're taping, that is Tuesday night. You may be hearing us later in the week. You already know that result and how things went or didn't go. Memphis won the earlier meeting. But then you got to play SMU no matter what Saturday in Dallas. They also have a win over Houston. They're also good. They also beat the Tigers earlier in the year. What does that win do psychologically for this team? What do you think? Well, it's a, it's a huge confidence builder. First off, you got to realize this team is going through different cycles here. When the year began, and Penny admitted in the athletic last week that he made an error here, he decided because he had Amani Bates, who's out with a back injury, and, J- and Jalen Duran, who's looking like he is a top 10 NBA pick next year. Then they had an issue with COVID and then injuries. They really have not had their total team together since they beat Virginia Tech on November the 24th. Now the only one missing is Bates. Bates has really struggled as a major contributor he's just not big enough in the calves in the shoulders in the arms to really play inside in major college basketball he left early he should have stayed a senior year in high school in my estimation but now he's got this back problem he's not a part of it so penny is settled on a rotation Guys are getting along. They figured out their roles, and now they've won five in a row, and this game in Houston gives them, to get back to your initial query, gives them incredible amounts of confidence. Well, yep. Sometimes it's it's finding yourself, and teams do that in February. It seems as though they have. I love talking with Dave Oloshan, the voice of the Memphis Tigers. He's leading things off on this edition of College Basketball Coast to Coast. Uh, talking Memphis Tigers win over the Houston Cougars. You mentioned Penny Hardaway, and I've asked you this before. Obviously, we saw the frustration spill over. It went everywhere on the internet. He's going after the media. Uh, you know, don't question me. I don't have my team. Uh, use some vulgarity to get his point across. Just give us something now that these things have gotten better, where this team has looked impressive against UCF, looked better against Tulane and won. You mentioned five in a row. What's it like to be around Penny Obviously, the, the, the obvious point is winning cures a lot of this. And so the pep in your step is back. But just give us some insight into Hardaway and where he is and what he thinks of his own team because you interview him more than anybody else does, pregame, postgame, radio show, TV show. More on Penny, please, real quick. Well, that outburst that he had and pointing the finger at certain members of the media was very much unlike Penny. I mean, I've never seen that in all the years. The only times when usually he's frustrated and upset, he just shortens his answers. He has never gone after people. And I'll be honest with you, if you look up Penny's net worth, he's estimated value of somewhere between 50 and $100 million. He still gets multi, multi, multi-million dollars every year from Nike and his deal with the University of Memphis. He doesn't need to do this. He could be playing golf. And by the way, he's a low handicap golfer. He does this because one, he loves the game Two, He wants to bring a championship to his city. So I think he was incredibly frustrated. 
And he felt that he wasn't getting a fair shake because he really didn't have his team. And since he's gotten his team back, hey, they now have won five games in a row. So I think it's and validated. The pointed, the pointed question was, are you embarrassed by how they had performed against SMU? And the embarrassed word seemed to trigger him. And, and maybe it has helped galvanize the team that moment. I don't know that he was that forward thinking of let's use it as a galvanizing thing here. They're all out to get us circle the wagons, but the embarrassed, are you embarrassed things seem to trigger him and things have now changed since then. I I, I think you're spot on with that. Cause let's, let's go back to the way it was initially introduced. It was a columnist from Memphis who is a very talented guy. And I think he asked a legitimately fair question to begin with the Tigers had just lost a tough game. And his, his uh, initial question was, do you think you can still get it done the way you had hoped? And then and Penny is starting to get a little upset, but he's holding his temper. And he says, do you mean in Memphis? And then Jeff says, yeah, like that start tonight. Was that embarrassing? Well, how do you answer that question? And that just, that was the trigger. Then he went off. Now he's had the validation. Look, he's beaten Rick Barnes at the University of Tennessee in Knoxville. He beat him there. He's beaten uh, Alabama this year. He's beaten a lot of good teams now, including uh, Samson a couple of times. That's a Hall of Fame guy. He's going to win probably by the end of this year, his 700th game. Penny can flat out coach. It was sort of an unfair placement of of him with an embarrassing way to ask him. And I think he's proven himself. And I I think this team is poised to make a run. All right. Another moment or two. Dave Wolosian with me talking a lot about Penny Hardaway, about the Memphis Tigers in the American Conference. Quickly, is this a multi-bid league, Houston, and at least one other? Do you believe that right now as we're in mid-February, whoever that other is? SMU, Memphis, jockeying, and maybe somebody else gets in the mid. But you believe this is a multi-bid league, correct? I do. I mean, I think all you have to do is look at nets to see that. Uh, So Houston went from three to five with that loss. As we speak right now on Tuesday, the Memphis Tigers are 44 in the net. So they went from 58 to 44 on the strength of that win Mm. at the Fertitta Center. And – the uh, team that they are really chasing, even though uh, their net is slightly ahead, but SMU has a net of 46. That's correct. That's so correct. those, I, I think it's a two team league, two bid league. And I think it's going to be between Memphis and SMU. So that game next Sunday on national TV in Dallas could go a long way toward making one of the cases, either SMUs or Memphis. All right. We're excited to see all of that again. You may already know the result earlier in the week of the Cincinnati game coming this weekend. They're at SMU. It turns out again, the Cincinnati game is a makeup from the snowstorm ice storm in Cincinnati about a week and a half ago. This was not planned to have three in a row on the road. Conferences usually don't do that to teams in February, but this is when they can make it up. That's when they're making it up. So you may or may not already know that result of the Cincinnati game, Tigers and SMU coming in Dallas on Sunday. This man will be on the call on Memphis radio. He and Matt Dillon have been there forever through a lot of the good times as well. And are the Tigers of Memphis bouncing back for Penny Hardaway? We're about to see Dave Wolosian. I always love the insight 
of what you bring here to all of the conversation with Memphis basketball on the minds on college basketball coast to coast. Let's hope we do this again here in March because it looks like the Tigers are gearing up for it, my friend. Thank you. Thanks so much, DJ. You know how much I enjoy being on with you. Give my best to your family, your girls. I know it was a sweet Valentine's Day for you. Keep up the good stuff. Following up the Memphis conversation, I bring back in a longtime contributor to everything that I do, not only here with College Basketball Coast to Coast, but in other venues, forums, fashions, Three Dog Thursday podcast, etc. He's big on the free throw awareness as well. We're going to talk about that in a moment. Also with the USC, as in Southern Cal, Trojans Wire website from USA Today. Matt Zimmick is back aboard just in time to talk about the latest installment of the Crosstown Showdown where USC beat UCLA on the weekend. Matt Zimmick, welcome back to College Basketball Coast to Coast. Thank you for hanging with me, sir. Thank you. And, you know, Super Bowl's over, so America's sports focus the next seven weeks. March, baby. Amen on that. Let's dive right in. USC gets the win over UCLA. What a battle at the end. USC tried to be benevolent not once but twice and give the game into the hands of UCLA to tie it or maybe even have a chance to win it. The, uh, what, Tiger Campbell 30-footer clangs off. The Trojans get the win. Give me some more analysis. You've been writing about it coming off the weekend about the USC victory. Both of these teams look good. What did you see? What about now the aftermath? Well, if you had told anyone, not just a USC fan, not just a UCLA fan, you know, I know that, uh, you know, you, uh, your three dog Thursday, of course, is looking for barking underdogs. So USC became a significant underdog at least in my mind, when it was revealed 90 minutes before tip-off or thereabouts, that Isaiah Mobley wasn't going to play. That's USC's best player. You know, Boogie Ellis is good. Chavez Goodwin's good. But Isaiah Mobley is the best player. He has a chance to be a late lottery pick. Probably going to be, you know, in the top 20. Might sneak in there at like 13 or 14. He's USC's best player. He's not going to play UCLA. I mean, I'm sure there was a late stampede to find UCLA on the money line there and and yet so you have that and then boogie ellis goes over seven he doesn't even make a free throw he gets shut out zero points so isaiah mobley doesn't play boogie ellis doesn't score just put that scenario out there what do you think the final score is yeah ucla by 25 yeah, I was going to say, I think most people would think listening to that, USC loses to any good team by 15 or 20 points. Nonetheless, no it's the rivalry like, game no and they win it. Right. No debate. So they, so they win. So what happened? Like Drew Peterson became one third Larry Bird, one third Joel Embiid, one third Rudy Gobert, because it wasn't just the 27 points. It's the 12 boards, it's the four assists, and it's the five block shots. He was an absolute madman doing everything. Now, of course, the 27 points, what's instructive about that, he came on nine of 13 shooting, four of five threes. Peterson's been a bad three-point shooter for most of the season. He had one really good game against Utah. But Utah's the 11th, maybe 10th best team in the Pac-12, this is UCLA, and he just lights up the Bruins with all sorts of step-back jumpers and amazing one-on-one plays. So USC needed something special from Peterson. But then the other really important piece of this USC puzzle is that 
Reese Dixon Waters, he's been on the bench the whole season. Most nights, Andy Enfield gives him maybe like uh, nine to 12 minutes, even 24 here. And this was partly a product of Isaiah Mobley not being available. But nevertheless, Enfield put his chips on the table. He says, hey, I'm going to trust you, a younger guy, not part of my veteran starting five with Isaiah Mobley, Chavez Goodwin, Boogie Ellis, Drew Peterson, Ethan Anderson, sometimes Max Agboncolo. Uh, this was a guy who had not been getting extended minutes this season, but Enfield trusted him with 24 minutes. Reese Dixon Waters gets 10 points in those 24 minutes. So a high value contribution. And that's really the story of, of this USC team, TJ. If the younger guys can get extended minutes, if Enfield is willing to trust them, it's going to mean some bumps along the way. But if he's willing to trust the younger guys with minutes, they show signs of being able to deliver for him, and that's going to lengthen USC's bench, take some pressure off the starters, and it's going to give this team a real chance in March. Harrison Hornery practically never used uh, previously, uh, just played a few mop-up games. He was like a human victory cigar. Uh, he got 14 minutes, and he got those 14 minutes because USC was down eight early in the second half, offense going absolutely nowhere. Harrison Hornery, this freshman who had been given, you know, practically no time at all. He hits three, three pointers. He saved that game for USC. And that might've been the reason why Enfield gave Reese Dixon waters 24 minutes against UCLA. The, the light bulb might've gone on for Enfield saying, Hey, if my regular seven, eight man rotation, isn't getting it done, I need to go to options nine and 10, see what they can do. It really saved USC this past week. That's the voice of Matt Zimmick hanging with me here as it is college basketball coast to coast. He's kind of the unofficial West Coast bureau chief, the voice of, uh, of the, no West Coast bias here on college basketball coast to coast. And if you've been with us for the last few years, you know that when I get Matt on the program. So USC gets that win over UCLA. By the way, they'll play the two Washington schools later this week, depending on when you're hearing us. They play the Huskies Thursday night. They play on Sunday at the Palouse against Washington State. Keep an eye on that we know this conference uh is top heavy with arizona ucla and usc is it a four-bid league right now in your mind as we approach selection sunday in four weeks is it maybe more what what do you think right about now yeah so we're recording this show uh monday afternoon washington state plays oregon monday night in a covid makeup game that game pretty much eliminates the loser especially if it's Washington State. If Oregon loses, Oregon still plays Arizona in the McHale Center in Tucson later this week. So Oregon could hypothetically lose to Washington State, but if it beats Arizona on the road, that would probably still get Oregon on the good side of the bubble. But if you're relying on beating Arizona in Tucson to get into the NCAA tournament, don't like those chances. So Oregon, by losing to Cal and getting blown out, that was an absolute disaster for Oregon. I'd say Oregon's just below the cut line uh, in terms of getting in. So that Arizona game is going to be necessary. Oregon also hosts the Los Angeles schools in late February. I think Oregon needs two. Oregon needs really needs the Arizona win, but if it doesn't get the Arizona win, then it's going to have to sweep USC and UCLA at home, and then, of course, not step on a rake anywhere else uh, to get into the NCAA tournament. So Oregon needs two high-end wins, no bad losses, 
at least a Pac-12 semifinal, get through the quarterfinal round. That's a lot of work to do for a Duck team that has not been impressive at all this season. And for Washington State, again, I'm going to continue to bring this up, that the metrics are all different. They're confusing. And there are obviously anomalies and things that can't be explained. I mean, how at the moment, as we record this again, they're 46 in the net, yet they have, and you know this, Matt, zero quad one wins, 0-3. They're 4-2 and two in the next quadrant, so that makes them 4-5 and five in the first two quadrants. They have three quad three losses, and they have a quad four loss, and yet they're in the top 50 of the net ranking. I, I mean, I guess the net just loves margin of victory that much that they've been winning big in a lot of their games, that makes no sense. For example, I don't want everybody to get lost in the numbers on college basketball coast-to-coast, but Washington State is 46 in the net. If you go by the traditional RPI, they're 87th on who did you play and who did you beat. That is a 41-spot variation. So I think there will be some analyzing of them, even if they win that Oregon game, uh, which, by the way, that would be their first Quadrant 1 win if they win it, if they're able to get it. So... Let's see what happens there. One more. Arizona looks so good. They swept the two California teams at home, which we suspected they would. Do you believe they are Final Four worthy, Matt Zimmick, of the Trojans Wire website, having seen what they did to USC and others? What about Tommy Lloyd in his first year in that team? Final Four worthy? What do you think? Yes, and, and just consider that they swept USC and UCLA at home, all right? So – that, that took a lot of work. That took a lot of doing. And then they had to play rival Arizona State on the road on a Monday a week ago, right after sweeping the L.A. schools. They blow out ASU. And then they come up uh, to the Washington schools. They handled Washington State and Washington no problem on the road. Like, that's how a number one seed plays. And I think that in terms of the bracketology, Arizona is in position to get the number one seed in the East, I think that uh, you have Baylor in the Midwest, uh, or, or not. Well, you have definitely have Auburn in the South. You might have Baylor right. in the Midwest. You might have Kansas in the Midwest. But then Arizona is in a position to get the one in the East, so you don't ha- get the two in the West with Gonzaga as the one. So I think Arizona as the one seed in the East. That's where the Wildcats are. If you're a number one seed, you're definitely a frontline Final Four contender. Well, and again, they're two in the net ranking as we begin uh, play this week and Arizona slated to play the two Oregon teams, Oregon state Thursday, Oregon, as you made mention on Saturday, that's a big game for Oregon, obviously with that one looming. And again, just to belabor the whole variation thing, Arizona has six quad one wins, six and two, five and zero oh in quad two, that's 11 and two. They're two in the net and the RPI says they're three. Slightly different variation than the Washington State example when we're doing the math. couple minutes left. All right, this is outside the Pac-12 purview, but still in the West, it still counts. Gonzaga uh, really handled St. Mary's at home. Now, they will end the year. The Zags, one of the top teams in college basketball, two tough road games to end the year. Kind of the same question. Uh, it appears their final four, if not national champion worthy, but in this conference, might San Francisco, might St. Mary's, could this be a three-bid league, the West Coast Conference? Could one of those teams get to Gonzaga late in the year here in a couple of weeks? What do you think? Yeah, so I think we're we, St. Mary's is the non-Gonzaga team that's comfortably in the field. And then I think you're looking at San Francisco has to win that home game against Gonzaga if it wants to get in. San Francisco and BYU, they've been kicking themselves. San Francisco lost at home to Portland. 
blew a 23-point lead at home to St. Mary's, blew a lot of chances, and BYU lost to Pacific, lost to San Francisco, lost to Gonzaga. They've both really hurt themselves over the past few weeks. So San Francisco gets Gonzaga at home. Win that game, Dons are, Dons are in. But if they lose, going to have to win the WCC tournament. And again, for Gonzaga, uh, they've got monstrous wins out of the conference against UCLA, against Texas Tech. They did lose to Alabama in Seattle, which is considered a neutral game, even though that's closer to Spokane. I mean, so what uh, help me with my Washington geography, because you used to live in Seattle across the desert and from Spokane to Seattle. It's about three hours by car, depending on how fast you drive. Right? Yeah, three, four hours. That's Something like right. that. That yeah. That's a whole lot easier than the five-hour plane ride that Alabama took to Seattle to win that home away from home game, neutral floor game for Gonzaga. But uh, And then Zags also lost to Duke. But still, they are one in the net ranking right now with six quadrant one wins to tell you how good they are. Interesting that St. Mary's and San Francisco are both in the top 32. St. Mary's is 21 beginning the week. San Francisco is 32 beginning the week. Mountain West might get three teams that are in there uh, and we'll see. And again, for Gonzaga, whatever they do here for the next week and a half or so, the final two games are at St. Mary's and at San Francisco before the conference tournament plays out. All right, my friend, I always love the inside of Matt Zimmick. Plug away your social media, where we read you, USC primarily, Pac-12 broadening out. Plug away on all of it here. Yeah, so I'm at Trojans Wire, trojanswire.usatoday.com, and we're covering USC, which, you know, USC is not a lock, but I'd say very close to a lock. So USC being the NCAA tournament, that's good for business, and we're going to cover the Trojans and the Pac-12 on the road to March. Yes, and Anfield's team making everybody uh, pay attention to something besides the Lincoln Riley news out of USC and the Trojans Wire website, and that's a good thing. And they've got several huge wins, two or three of them right now, to help bolster their case. Uh, I look forward to bothering you several more times as we go along and get into March. Matt Zimmick, thank you as we crank back up on college basketball coast to coast. Always a pleasure, TJ. All right, there we go. Love the inside of that man. And again, we'll tap into him, especially things that are happening west of the Mississippi River as we roll back along here. Uh, early on in the week on College Basketball Coast to Coast, another reminder again that we're usually out early in the week here until we get March going. May come back later in the week with a new show, whether you're finding us on podcast, through Spreaker, through Apple Podcasts, wherever you get podcasts, or whether you find us on the TuneIn app under College Basketball Coast to Coast. Just search for the channel, College Basketball Coast to Coast. It's free. It's right there. We're going to be here all the way through March, even live games coming as well on College Basketball Coast to Coast on TuneIn. So, again, thank you for hopping aboard here, and let's watch all of this sort out. We haven't really talked any power conferences like the Big Ten, which looks so good. Great win for Ohio State over Michigan. Michigan wins that game over Purdue and looks fantastic kind of on the bubble. And then Ohio State comes and takes them out in Ann Arbor this weekend. Purdue has kind of lived up and down. They've won some big games, huge game for them to defeat Illinois. They bounce back, though, and get beat by Michigan, uh, and Michigan beating them decisively. Then they come back on the weekend and escape with a win over Maryland late. But, I mean, Michigan State's always good at the end of this. I know Wisconsin took a loss to Rutgers on the weekend. The Big Ten, though, loaded uh, with all the different teams up at the top, including the Illinois team that I mentioned uh, as well. Keep an eye on them. Big East, liking what we're seeing out of Providence right now. Uh, the Friars at 21-2. and two. They haven't lost a Big East game. Villanova up there at the top. 
with some of these better teams right now in the Big East, like Seton Hall or like UConn that got a huge win on Sunday in the Garden against St. John's. Xavier in this conference as well. Marquette in this conference as well. Looks like the Big East probably going to get five or six teams. ACC looks like Duke up at the top of it. Maybe Virginia who got the win at Duke. Maybe Miami who got a win at, at Duke, but it's primarily right now the Duke Blue Devils and how good they look. The SEC with Auburn, who, who had been the number one team in the country till their loss to Arkansas. Auburn, Kentucky. Arkansas has been playing well, although they lost on the weekend to Alabama. Alabama, yes. Tennessee, yes. So that's a loaded conference. And then the Big 12. Kansas looking like Kansas, but you've got some viable suitors. Texas Tech looks the part. They lost that double overtime game uh, to Kansas a couple of weeks ago, but the Jayhawks, they look like the team, but you've still got uh, some others that are in the mix, like Texas, who beat Kansas a week ago uh, late in the game, uh, like Baylor, the defending national champs, although they took a tough uh, personnel loss. Chachawa, the guard forward, one of the stars from last year's Final Four team, goes down with a knee injury. He's out for Baylor. But, I mean, Texas Tech in this conference, Baylor in this conference, Texas, Kansas, Oklahoma, uh, again, there's a lot to like there about the Big 12 as well. And I'm, I'm loving watching the Mountain West a little bit, too, with the likes of Boise State and Colorado State, uh, UNLV, San Diego State. Is the Mountain West going to end up with two or three teams? We will find out uh, with those teams kind of knocking each other off round robin. Colorado State, for example, on Sunday, Super Bowl Sunday, went out and won at Boise State. So we'll keep an eye on those games as well as all the jockeying for position is going on. Uh, out west and through the Midwest and all the way back east. For now, we are good on this edition. Again, find us on College Basketball Coast to Coast on podcast, on the TuneIn mobile app. For uh, my guy, Dave Wolosian, the voice of the Memphis Tigers, Matt Simic from the USC Trojan Wire. I'm nearly TJ Reeves. Enjoy the hoops all week and keep it locked in on College Basketball Coast to Coast.